chapter 12. We're so glad you could be here this evening. <clears throat> we are uh, thrilled to have you with us. We're dismayed that our group's not with us tonight. I wish they could have been with us this evening as well. They had to go and take care of business up north, and, uh, but we were certainly, certainly glad that they were able to be here with us this morning. If you uh, were unable to be in the service, maybe you were out and about teaching or doing something, sorry. But anyway, <coughs> it was great. It was wonderful. And uh, they did a fabulous job. Actually, they had one of the uh, leaders of the group fill in for uh, one of the young ladies that had to leave early. And uh, she did uh, just a wonderful job. Very pleased. And, and just, uh, they were so kind. And uh, again, doing a fabulous job there out on the West Coast. Well, <clears throat> Genesis chapter 12, uh, let's begin reading in verse 10. We're going to read through verse 20. Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. There was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. It came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai, his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife. They will kill me but they will save thee alive. <clears throat> Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. It came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh. The, women, uh, the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. He entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. The Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? <clears throat> Why sayest thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore, behold thy wife, take her, and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him. And they sent him away, and his wife, and all that he had. <clears throat> I've spoken to a number of people through the years, a number of folks. And it seems that every drunk, drug addict, broken soul that I speak to always says the same thing. I don't know where I went wrong. I don't know how I got here. I never expected to be where I am today. It doesn't seem to me that anyone sets out to be a drunkard. No one seems to just go right in the, on a path to uh, immorality to the point where they're lost and they're, they're laying in a bed with AIDS or some kind of disease. They never saw themselves there. They don't really know how they got so far. It just happened, but it didn't just happen. And I want to try to help you today. It's a theme that is very near and dear to my heart. It's one that I speak of probably often, not so much in messages, but just from time to time in passing. But I believe that Abraham can help us avoid some of the pitfalls that <clears throat> we will end up in if we'll just heed 
his example. We'll look at his life and try to learn from it. And so today, I want to look at a little topic that I would call direction determines destination. I want us to note how our direction will ultimately determine our destination. And so I have a couple of points that I want to make from the passage and we'll see what God can teach us today from it. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll go from there. Father, we thank you for just the privilege and the opportunity to be in your house. It is our, uh, just, uh, it is our privilege. Lord, so often we look at things like this as duty if we're not careful. But Lord, it's a blessing to be in your house. It is a privilege to be in your presence. And we invite you in our midst today. We don't want to be here by ourselves. And Lord, our fellowship one with another would be good, but it wouldn't be what you intend it to be. Father, we need to meet with you. Father, may you hide, Father, uh, me behind your cross, so to speak. Father, I don't want to say anything that wouldn't honor you. I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit. May you allow me to be your mouthpiece. Stand in my shoes. And Father, may it be thee and not me that people truly see and receive. I do believe you've given me something for your people. But Lord, it will mean nothing unless your Holy Spirit drives it home into the hearts and minds of each. So God of heaven, I'm begging you to do what I cannot do. Supernaturally intervene on our behalf and do a supernatural work in our lives. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. In our passage, we meet up with a man by the name of Abram. And of course, Abram ends up in a place that he probably never thought he would end up. I want you to note, verse 10, the Bible says, And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. First of all, our trouble really begins when we seek to solve our problems by our own wisdom. Our trouble really begins when we seek to solve our problems by our own wisdom. In our passage here, we see that there's a famine in the land, and Abram decides to go to Egypt. Now, everything in the Bible concerning Egypt points to the world. When you see Egypt utilized in the Bible, it is a picture and type of the world. Abraham is basically saying it's, there's a famine in the land where God has sent me, and as a result of that, I'm going to go ahead and go to the world to solve my problems. In Isaiah chapter 50, verse 11, we read a very intriguing and interesting passage. The Bible says, Behold, all ye that kindle a fire, that compass yourselves about with sparks, walk in the light of your fire, and in the sparks that ye have kindled, This shall ye have of mine hand, ye shall lie down in sorrow. Now let me read that again. He says, Behold all ye that kindle a fire, that compass yourselves about with sparks. Walk in the light of your fire and in the sparks that ye have kindled. This shall ye have of mine hand, ye shall lie down in sorrow. The verse offers a warning to those who are in darkness, the darkness of temptation, trials and tribulations in their lives. And to those who would try in the midst of those trials and temptations to find a way out without trusting in the Lord or relying on Him. Instead of allowing the God of heaven to 
to help them out. Instead, they'll try to help themselves out. And you know, often, if we're not careful, we'll, we'll seek the light of nature or we'll try to get the advice of friends. If we're not careful, we try, to, we try conclusions and, or counsels of our own mind and our own wisdom and our own reason. And we're tempted, if not careful, to script our own way out of our problems. We try to deliver ourselves if anything, like that song that was sung by the young ladies this morning, we need to, to, as the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. See, all these attempts to, uh, to escape tribulation and temptations and trials without God are really just simply those fires that we ourselves have kindled. And as a result, we begin to follow the light of those fires we've lit. Instead of following the light of the Word, instead of following the Spirit of God, instead of allowing the Word of God to have preeminence in our life, we are following now after the very fires that we have lit to light the pathway of our life. And it always leads to the same place. It always leads to sorrows. Listen, don't try to get out of the dark place. Except it be in God's time and in God's way. Boy, it is easy to believe somehow that God would always have everything to be rosy. That He would want us to be in a state of contentment or satisfaction or simply just comfortable. But that is not the case always. God intends those times of trouble and trial, even temptation, to teach us lessons. Lessons that we sorely need. That we desperately need in our lives. And sometimes when we seek to escape them prematurely, we simply frustrate the plan and purpose of God in our lives. We need to commit the circumstance and that situation to God totally and completely. We need to be willing to remain in the darkness or abide in that darkness as long as we have His presence. It's been said, it's better to walk in the dark with God than to walk alone in the light. Listen, don't meddle with God's plan and His will. You touch anything of God's and you mar the work. We touch anything of God's, we will mar the work. And if we're not careful, we have a tendency in our own lives, or maybe in the lives of our loved ones and friends, to try to somehow rescue ourselves or others from the darkness. But there are times in our lives that God would have us go through those for the purpose of strengthening us, tempering us, helping us. Stephen Merritt once said, You may move the hands of a clock to suit you, but you do not change the time. So you may hurry the unfolding of God's will, but you harm and do not help the work. You can open a rosebud, but you spoil the flower. Leave all to Him, hands down, thy will, not mine. I read a poem called His Way. It goes like this. God bade me go when I would stay. T'was cool within the wood. 
I did not know the reason why I heard a boulder crashing by across the path where I stood. He bade me stay when I would go. Thy will be done, I said. They found one day at early dawn, across the way I would have gone, a serpent with a mangled head. No more I ask the reason why, although I may not see the path ahead, his way I go. For though I know not, he doth know, and he will choose safe paths for me. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Listen, there will be times in each of our lives where our circumstances will become uncomfortable. They may become very uncomfortable, but we must learn to trust the Lord. His pathway may lead us to bitter water, even as it did the Israelites after leaving Egypt. But in the end, by faith, the outcome will be sweetness. Our trouble really begins when we seek to solve our problems by our own wisdom. That's what Abraham or Abram teaches us. Number two, each step away from God's Excuse me, each step away from God's place for you is another step closer to sin and failure. Each step away from God's place for you is another step closer to sin and failure. Notice, if you would, verse 11 through 13. It says, And it came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, that thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for my, thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. <clears throat> now it was true that Sarah or Sarai was his half-sister, but she was not his sister in the sense that he intended it to be. She was his wife. Now, I think it's interesting to note also that it says, And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt. See, as Abraham or as Abram moves away from the Lord God, as he moves away from the land that God had intended him to dwell in, as he became or got closer to Egypt, the world, he believes it necessary to depend on, on self, and depart from God's purpose and plan for his life. He leaves biblical teaching behind. He reasons within himself. And he says that surely a lie is something that needs to be said now. If there was ever a time for a lie, it's right now. Because here we are entering into Egypt. Here we are making our way into this strange land where they're going to see this beautiful wife of mine, they're going to want her unto themselves, and they're going to kill me for her. I've got to do something. Each step away from God's place for you is another step closer to sin and failure. See, the truth is that it becomes easier to sin as we move farther from God. This morning, one of the young men in the group, well, the only young man other than the leader, but this young man said to me as we talked, he said, what quick advice would you have for me? 
They were kind of hurt. He said, so you got any quick advice for me? I said, well, I said, all I'll say to you is this. Stay close to the Lord and walk in the Spirit. Don't neglect your personal time with the Lord, I told him. Keep that sweet and the rest will fall in place. Too often we neglect the basics, the fundamentals. The real reality is is that no person ever ends up steeped in sin or vice that hasn't already taken a step away earlier. It doesn't happen overnight. Too often we look at people in the church even, and, and sadly enough, it is the case at times, we say, oh my, they've gone from 100 miles an hour to zero. How'd that happen? It did not happen overnight. Although on the exterior or outside, it may appear that they were running well. Inside, they were already dead men's bones. Every real problem is a heart problem. When Sherry and I left our church years ago to begin Community Baptist Temple or were sent out from our church, they had a reception in our honor. Written on the cake there before us on that table that evening was this statement. A journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. Man, it's been an exciting time. I mean, I'll tell you, that was an exciting time. Standing around that table, a journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. Here we are ready, prepared to take that step out into the ministry. We're going to do this thing with God's help. And boy, it was exciting. And we entered into the, the senior center. And there in that one room began those services. And God blessed. And today God continues to bless. And thank God for that first step. And thank God for those that followed. How important is that first step? As true as it is that the first step led to tremendous triumphs, it could have led to ominous defeat. It could have turned out quite differently. See, what if our first step would have been made out of the will of God and not in it? What if our first step or our decision to begin a church was simply motivated and moved by pride or selfishness? What if we begun with the wrong focus and the wrong attitude? Oh, we'd have been taking that first step. I mean, a journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. We'd have taken that first step a thousand miles later where we would have ended up, though. And all I can say is today, you need to be very careful and we need to all be very weary of that step that we take. Because I'll tell you what, direction determines destination. You've got to be careful. How important is that first step, whether it be marriage, ministry, personal purity? Again, that first step often determines the outcome. Each step away from the place of God is a step in the wrong direction leading to the wrong place. You know, that's why it's so important, young men and young ladies, that you make a decision to take the right steps in life. 
when tempted to take a step that you know goes contrary to that book, the Word of God, or to the teaching of your Sunday school leader and teacher, or the guide or that mentor in your life that's spiritual and going in a certain direction has been praying for you and loving you and trying to encourage you in the things of God... That's why when you are confronted with that temptation and the desire to go that direction, you need to stop because if you take that first step, it could lead you to a very pitiful and damnable destination. Number three. Your present... Direction, you know what's coming, determines your ultimate destination. That's the third one. Notice verse 9. We didn't read that originally, but notice what it says. And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. Now, obviously, if if, if someone said, we're going to go north today on our trip, we'd think we're going up. When we talk about going south, we're going what? Down. And guess where south led them? To Egypt, the world. It's funny, in Scripture there are times whenever the Bible talks about going down to Egypt, when really they're going up to Egypt. But because Egypt is a type of the world, you're always going down when you head there. You know, it's funny about the, 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 the uh, Christians sometimes. I, I'm amazed sometimes they're willing to sacrifice God's perfect will and plan for their life, His purpose for their being in existence, for something that the world says is exciting, fun, and adventurous. They somehow believe that that's the right direction and it's going to lead to a great place in their life. Oh my, I'm going to choose this over God's will for my life. A young man feels the need to go into the ministry or compelled to be a preacher or a minister of the gospel. But my, let's face it, if I only go to college and get this particular degree, then I can make a lot of money. And then they may even justify it by saying, oh, I'd give tons of money to God and His work. I'd reach out to missionaries. Wait, all I can say to you is this. You're always going down when you're following the world. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with getting a degree, anything wrong with becoming a professional, if that's what God intends for you. But if there's another direction God wants you to go, let me tell you, you'll never end up in the right destination until you take the first step in the right direction. We're forfeiting God's best for what we consider good. Sadly enough, it does not satisfy And ultimately, 20 years down the road, when you look back, you'll wish that you had chosen the right path. Abraham's direction made it all that much easier to head to Egypt. In Acts chapter 20, take your Bible and look over there, would you please? Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 7. We meet up with a man by the name of Eutychus. Some of you know what happened to him. The same thing would happen to you if we had balconies. Maybe not. Maybe not. I just thought I'd throw that in. See if anybody's awake. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. 
The Bible says, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. By the way, uh, the first day of the week. So I'd throw that in. Well, when should we have church? You have it on Saturday? Have it on Sunday? Have it on Monday when? The first day of the week. Well, what's the first day of the week? Sunday. Sunday. That's why we have church on Sunday. I'm not opposed to having outreach ministries on Saturday. I wouldn't have a problem with that. But it's church time on Sunday. Doesn't matter what the culture and the society says, it's still church time today. Go ahead and change it and say, well, I'm just going to go on Saturday so I don't have to go on Sunday. You're messing up because you're supposed to meet on Sunday. It's that simple. That's God's will. That's His plan. That's how He wants it to work. He has a reason for that. Now, I know that it doesn't fit in our plans, but that's the way God intended it. And I'm glad that you are abiding in that tonight. Notice now, he goes on to say, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow... And continue to speech until midnight. Wouldn't that be nice if we were still here come midnight? <clears throat> yeah, right. Okay. <clears throat> Lightning's going to strike right now. <clears throat> and there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching... There's something biblical about that long preaching. (laughs) He sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. Can you imagine? That's a long fall. Wow. And Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. just thought I'd read that because some of you are very concerned. I could see it on your faces. His mama slept well that night. See, the way you lean determines where you fall. The way you lean determines where you fall. We've got to be careful which way we're leaning. You know, I'm glad tonight you're leaning toward church. Listen, you, you fall that direction, you're probably going to, you may get a scrape or two here and there, but you're going to come out smelling pretty good. You lean out in the world, you're going to slip and fall. Not only get a couple bruises, but you're probably going to smell pretty dirty. All I can say is, is that there's nothing easy in life, and the Christian life is no bed of roses. But let me tell you this, the way of the transgressor is hard. And thank God that we have a Savior whose grace is sufficient. But the way you lean determines where you fall. When I was in the army, one of the guys would often say in our barracks, he'd say, I'm going to play some poker. Who wants to play? Don't look at me like that. You've heard that before. I got, well, what was you doing there? I was in my room along with about 50 other guys. <clears throat> he'd say, I'm going to play some poker. Who wants to play? And a lot of the guys would say, I'm in. I'm in. In some cases, those that got in wish they could get out. You know? But by then, they had so much invested, they couldn't just leave the game. See, make sure you don't get into anything that will lead you to the wrong destination. You may think that you can always choose at any time to get out. 
But once you've established relationships in your life, friends, family, habits, and just a way of life, you're going to find that getting out is much harder than you think. Young people, I can't tell you how many young men ages 22 to 29 or 30 have sat in my office and regretted the day they smoked their first joint. I'm going to tell you something. I'm telling you now. It seems like a big game. And it doesn't hurt nothing, right? It's no big deal. I mean, there's all kinds of people doing that. But see, what they don't tell you, ultimately, like those young men sitting across from me, that now they're on all kinds of things. What's some of the big drugs that you guys hear about on the streets all the time? What is it? No, I don't want to hear from any adult. Anybody? Any young person? Coke? Okay, what else? Yeah, you got marijuana. You guys obviously act like you don't know nothing. I could probably check your pockets and find more than you're telling me right now. (laughs) Greg, I'm going to have to make you stand up. Come on, give me some other ones. Oh, heroin. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. What else? What about crystal meth? What about meth? What about some of the, what about those, those bath salts? Huh? What about stuff like that? That's no big deal. People are losing their minds. It's costing them their futures. Those 28, 29, and 30 year olds that sit across my desk beg God. Some of them wish to God they could almost die. They only knew they were headed to heaven. They'd be glad to at times. They feel like their soul's been stolen from them by Satan. And as much as they try to get off those drugs, as much as they try to be, uh, get out of that lifestyle, they are bound by the relationships that they have, by the investment that they've made, by the vice that they have allowed themselves to be captured by, and they cannot get out as easy as you think it is. And neither will you. I'll just say no. I'll just exhibit some willpower. I'll just get away from my friends. No, you won't. It doesn't work like that. Everybody's the exception. Everybody's the exception. Every man thinks that he can view pornography and he'll never get caught and it'll never affect his life. Every teenager thinks that they can dabble in illicit relationships with the opposite sex or the same sex today and think somehow that it'll be all right because when they really get serious about relationships, they'll just turn off those desires and focus their attention on only one. Oh, I mean, it never leads anywhere. It's just fun. It's just exciting. But let me tell you something. Direction determines destination. And you don't just walk away when you choose Why do you think that we're admonished to look unto Jesus? 
The book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing ye also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Notice, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. Why in the world would God be so adamant about looking unto Jesus? I'll tell you why because direction determines destination get your eyes off the lord jesus christ god knows where you'll end up and i know i know everybody thinks they're the exception i'll not get caught i'll be fine but all you need to do is go down to the local jail down here in summit county or stark county go on out there to marysville and talk to some of those ladies and talk to somebody down in the ohio state penitentiary and ask them some questions hey when did you plan on being here i never planned on being here i just got here Direction determines destination. Where did it start for you? started behind a garage smoking cigarettes with my friends when I knew I wasn't supposed to. What? Cigarettes don't kill nobody. Cigarettes ain't that big a deal. And can I tell you something? There are a lot worse things in life than cigarettes. Boy, the devil binds so many Christians with stupid little things like that that make them feel like they're unable to serve or do anything for God. But let me tell you something. It can lead to something else in your life. When you know you're rebelling and disobeying authority and you're doing something that goes contrary to Scripture, I promise you, you don't know where it will lead you. (laughs) Number four, and we'll end with this one, even though I have 23. You guys in these suits up here, you stay. You need it. We'll dismiss the rest of them. (laughs) So we noted already that our trouble really begins when we seek to solve our problems by our own wisdom. And we we noted also that, um, I'll tell you what, we noted, oh yeah, there it is. I'm going to find it here sooner or later. I'm getting it all mixed up. Each step away from uh, God's place for you is another step closer to sin and failure. Number three, your present direction determines your ultimate destination. Let's end with this one tonight. Your failure to follow God and be where He wants you will place your family in danger. Look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. You're going, where at? You just took me to another verse. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. I'll get there with you. Genesis chapter 12, verse 15. Notice what the Bible says here. And the princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Wow. I can't even imagine that. You know, my wife and I head on down to Egypt. And I, I say, well, honey, will you lie for me? I mean, if you don't lie, they'll kill me. She says, well, I don't know. That sounds good. No, she wouldn't say that. But, she, hey, yo, did, did, you, did you pay up your insurance, your life insurance? That, that might work out well. But anyway, she says, okay, you're right, you're right. I, I don't want you to check out on me prematurely. Let, let's go ahead and uh, I'll, I'll do that. I can't even imagine walking in or down to Egypt and watching some men grab her and take her to another man's house. 
Can you imagine? I, I can't even fathom that. Can't even imagine it. See, in Abraham's case, or Abram's case, his wife was placed in a very vicarious and even dangerous position, wasn't she? Extremely dangerous. See, when we take, away, we take steps away from God's place for us, we place our families in jeopardy. That's just the reality. There's always a sense, and by the way, get this, there's always a sense of selfishness that accompanies those kind of decisions. And I'm always amazed how everybody tries to make sense. You know, I'm doing this for you, honey. You know, because if we go down to Egypt, you know, and you don't lie for me, they're going to kill me. And where will you be? You'll be up a creek without a paddle. I mean, you're done, baby. You, you ain't going to have nothing. Oh, I'm doing this for you, sweetheart. Really? I think it sounds like a little self-preservation to me. I think it sounds a little selfish if you ask me. I, I don't know. I think he was concerned with his own life and... And he's heading down to Egypt now, and his decision that was made to go ahead and lie about it, his concern for his life now turns to this crazy scheme to keep himself alive that even allows his wife to be put in jeopardy to possibly be involved in things that she would never dream nor ever want to be involved in. We're not where God would have us. We place everyone around us. In jeopardy. I think, about, I think about David. David wasn't where he belonged in 2 Samuel 11.1, 1, was he? He should have been out battling. He should have been fighting. But he wasn't. He remained behind. And instead of being out front leading his men, he got caught up in some real sin. It cost the nation. See, he had a son by the name of Absalom who ultimately revolted. Let a coup, if you will, sought to literally overthrow the kingdom. It affected his family. His own daughter was abused, taken advantage of. And then himself. The mark of sin was always on his life and in his ministry. Every time you think of the name David, even though you think of a mighty king, the very king that all other kings are judged by, you can't help but think of that sin. Everyone was affected by his indiscretion, by his failure to follow God where he wanted him. Achan in Joshua chapter 7. Think about him. The Bible says, When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight. Then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent. The silver under it. Man, they had gone in and God had given them a tremendous victory in the, the city of Jericho. And yet, there they are now, uh, leaving Jericho and had been given a standing order. Don't take anything with you. Destroy everything. They, they, the spoils are not even yours. And so as a result of that, he chooses to follow his own counsels and he sees this Babylonian garment, this wedge of gold. He steals them, savors them to himself and buries them in his tent. And all of a sudden, what happens? The nation goes to fight Ai and they lose men. Now one life is lost, apparently, 
fighting Jericho. But now, a little, small, insignificant nation like Ai overwhelms them and overcomes them. Before it was over with, his entire family is stoned with it. Left dead. All because of his sin. See, our trouble really begins when we seek to solve our problems by our own wisdom. Each step away from God places God's place for you is another step closer to sin and failure. Your present direction determines your ultimate destination. And your failure to follow God and be where He wants you will place your family in jeopardy and in danger. I want to encourage all dads and moms today to really guard your heart and guard your lives. Understand that every decision you make is a decision on behalf of your family. That when you take that step, whether it be in or out of this place, the church, it makes a difference where your children will end up years down the road. I'm not saying that you can control or make every decision on behalf of your kids. They'll make their own mind up in their time. They'll have to go their own direction. They'll have to find a relationship with Christ themselves. I understand all of that. But let me tell you something. Your testimony, your life, and your example mean something. And when you make a decision to follow after God, it'll change the course of your life and the life of those around you. But when you make that step in the wrong direction, it will lead you to the wrong destination and everybody else will follow. Direction determines destination. God help us to be pointed in the right direction. I often say that God is more concerned with our direction than He is our destination. When I say that, what I mean is simply that. That if you're headed in the right direction, you'll always end up in the right place. And so many times a person comes to Christ and their life's still riddled with sin and there's vices in their life. Hey, listen, let me tell you something. There's nobody perfect here tonight. You just make sure you're pointing in the right direction. Because if you'll choose the right direction for you, your life, you'll end up in the right place in the end. Don't allow yourself to be discouraged by Satan. Telling you that, well, you're obviously a very poor example of a Christian. You've got all these vices. You've got these problems. No. You think about where am I headed? What direction am I going? God, help me to follow you. And to truly, as he says there even in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus. You keep your eyes on the Lord and you keep going in the right direction. God will bless that in your life. It may take time, but God will bless it. God help us to be pointed in the right direction. Young people, teenagers, be pointed in the right direction. When you go to camp this year, watch this. This is how simple and practical this is. You make sure that you're not leaning down, looking at the ground. You make sure you're pointed in the right direction, looking at the man of God as he proclaims the word of God. You sit up in your seat and you take heed and you listen. Don't you get lazy and start looking down. Because if you're looking down, you're you're not hearing a thing that's being said half the time. Oh, I can do that. It doesn't bother me. And that's why I catch you sleeping. You're drooling all over yourself. Knocking over that little bottle of water you had down there, Pop. Hey, listen. Don't make these leaders, and they're going to be watching you. Don't make them tap you on the shoulder. Don't make them wake you up. Be pointed in the right direction. And if you're pointing in the right direction, you'll end up in the right place. Direction determines destination. Father, we come to you.